That's a pretty real song, isn't it? But, uh, hopefully it, you could relate to that, that concept that we are often falling and in need of that daily grace, but it's always enough. That, uh, it's a good combination, the final hymn, more about Jesus would I know. And then uh, those words that uh, say it's, it's not just a hobby to know Jesus. It's, I'm in daily, hourly, minute by minute need to know him more um, as I walk in this life with him. So, thank you. All right, well, open your Bibles with me, please, to Galatians chapter 4. And as we continue on in this letter that Paul wrote to the churches in this area called Galatia, area that's part of what we call Turkey today, uh, he was writing not just to people who were under his authority, uh, he was not just writing to people who uh, he was trying to straighten out and get in line, uh, but he was writing to people that he knew and he loved. Because relationships matter. In this letter, Paul has presented many arguments to convince the people in these, these different church bodies that their salvation, that salvation comes to sinners only as a gift given to them when they place their faith in Jesus Christ, as the one who has given himself in their place to pay for the penalty of their sins. And he's given theological arguments, and he's given historical arguments, and he's even gone back to his own, own uh, past relationships and things that have happened to him. But I notice in chapter 4, Paul has really begun to emphasize the, the importance of the relationships that have entered into their lives since they have professed faith in Jesus. Uh, first of all, we've just come off a, a section that talks about the intimate relationship that they now have with the Father as sons. Uh, he just told them in chapter 3 and then again emphasized again at the beginning of chapter 4 that those who by faith have come to Christ have become sons of God. Not through keeping the law, not even through their own system of, of what's right and wrong and do's and don'ts, but they have come by faith to have a relationship with God as His very sons and co-heirs with Jesus. So it's not as though they or we, when we put our faith in Him, are, are somewhere down here, but, but He's actually blessed us through His Son, with His Son, God the Son. Now Paul wants them to consider the relationship that they have with Him and all that they have meant to each other over the, over the years, or at least the time that He has known them. Because the false teachers have been working hard to alienate these people from Paul who brought the good news of the gospel of salvation by grace through faith. 
They've got a different gospel, which he's already told us is not a gospel. It's not good news. In fact, it's bad news to say, here's the law, keep it. And then you can be right with God. You can even add Jesus onto that if you want, but you got to keep the law. That's, that's bad news, Paul's pointed out, because what the law came with was a curse. Because you couldn't keep it. And so it's really bad news when people say, here, keep this standard. Do these things. Don't do those things. And then you can be right with God. Paul says, I came to you and I brought this message to you. And in that, we entered into an amazing relationship with one another. And I, I do want you to keep in mind our relationship. So if you follow along with me, I'm going to read. I'm going to start in verse 9, although we'll be focusing on verses 12 through 20 of chapter 4. Uh, but I'll begin in verse 9 and read down through verse 20. It says, But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how is it that you turn back again to the weak and worthless elemental things to which you desire to be enslaved all over again? You observe days, months, and seasons, and years. I fear for you that perhaps I have labored over you in vain. I beg of you, brethren, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You have done me no wrong, but you know that it was because of a bodily illness that I preached the gospel to you the first time. And that which was a trial to you in my bodily condition, you did not despise or loathe, but you received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus himself. Where then is that sense of blessing you had? For I bear you witness that if possible, you would have plucked out your eyes and given them to me. So have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? They eagerly seek you, not commendably, but they wish to shut you out so that you will seek them. But it is good to always, always to be eagerly sought in a commendable manner, and not only when I am present with you. My children, with whom I am again in labor until Christ is formed in you, but I w could wish to be present with you now, and to change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. So Paul is, uh, excuse me just a minute. Is in the, in the, what came right before this, really talking about the fact that they, they had entered into this relationship with Jesus, at least by their profession, and now they're thinking about going back to the same kind of system they'd been under. Is he specifically, if you remember in, in verses 9 through 11, they had come to, come to Christ, professed faith in Christ, but then these people came along and showed them, here's, here's, here's the law God gave to his people, the Jewish people. Do these things. Keep these observances. And there was a temptation to, in a sense, go back to what they'd believed before, that 
you get favor with some sort of higher power by doing things. And it was very tempting. It is tempting for us as human beings to think, well, we can earn our relationship with God. We can do good enough to make things right. And their temptation was, he said, to go back. Now, he's talking, I think, specifically here to the Gentiles. Well, how is it the Gentiles are going to go back to the law? Well, in essence, people who tried to live according to the law and make themselves right with God had the exact same system of, of religion that the people who worshipped the Greek and Roman gods had. They knew, they knew this power that was bigger than them they wanted to appease and, and get in a right relationship with so they could get what they wanted. He said, do you want to go back to that now that you've known forgiveness as a gift through Jesus Christ? And specifically there where he says to them, verse 9, but now you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God. You've entered into this relationship with him. Are you going to back away from that intimate relationship you've been given with God to go into a system of trying to do good in order to be right with God and failing and failing? In fact, he said you've started to keep the Sabbath. You've started to keep these festivals. You've started to do these different things that are part of the law thinking that it will gain you favor with God. Why go back to that? And he says, verse 10, you observe days and months and seasons and years. You've started to do that. Why do you want to go back to the hopeless situation you were in before? That's why he says, I fear for you. Maybe you really didn't believe. Maybe you've just been playing religious games. Maybe you've just started a self-made, self-righteous religion and put the law in there in place of your old rules. Paul talks about that in Colossians. I'm just going to read. This is a little bit longer section in Colossians, but, but he kind of expands on this. And so I'm just going to trust that as, as you hear this, uh, the Spirit will help you to, to grasp more fully and understand uh, verses 13 through 20. 9 of Colossians chapter 2. <clears throat> he says, When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, in other words, you were Gentiles and you didn't have hope, He made you alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. When he had disarmed rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to, a, to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day things which are a mere shadow of what is to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of angels, 
taking his stand on visions he has seen, inflating, inflated without cause by his fleshly might, and not holding fast to the head from whom the entire body, being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments, grows with a growth which is from Christ. If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, by the way, that's the same phrase Paul used earlier related to these things that, that there are regulations about food and drink and days and so on. If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which all refer to things destined to perish with use in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men? These are matters which have to be sure the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. Paul says, why go back to that? Those things that are self-made religion, it doesn't even help you gain the kind of self-control that you need. And then he charges them. We're just getting into today's text here. But he says, I beg of you, brethren, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. Because Paul had been there. He'd lived that life. He'd focused on the law and all the traditions of the elders, trying to, to, to have this, this perfection before God. He tried to be righteous before God, or at least before his religious peers, that they would think he'd got it all together. But then he found the better way, the only other way, the way that, that truly brings forgiveness. And he'd come to Jesus, who paid the price for his sins. He received that as a gift. He'd come to God the same way that Abraham had come, but with more knowledge of how God fulfilled that promise to Abraham that through Abraham, God would bless all of the nations. He could look back from Abraham's time forward and to Jesus and say, oh, that's, that's what you were going to do to provide salvation. Paul had shown the Galatians how to be saved by faith like he had. Now he urges them to leave this false teaching that started them back under some sort of a system of law and be like he is. Because Jesus' gift was not something they'd earned, but something they'd been given. He said, leave that trying to earn it behind. Be as I am. I've become like you. In other words, Jew, Gentile, like doesn't matter. You come by faith in Christ. We're all in the same place when we believe in Him and entrust ourselves to Him. And so as he continues on talking in verse 12 about the relationship, he says, you have done me no wrong. And really what I think he's trying to say there is, I'm not writing to you because I'm mad. I'm not angry with you. I'm not offended because you've listened to these false teachers. This is not about me.
I'm not taking personal offense. I'm not hurt and angry. I'm concerned about you. That's what this is about. In fact, Paul goes on then in verses 13 to 15 to talk about, we have an amazing history together. I have experienced great love from you. He says in verse 13, but you know that it was because of a bodily illness that I preached the gospel to you in the first time. And that which was a trial to you in my bodily condition, you did not despise or loathe, but you received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus himself. And so when Paul had gone to Galatia on his first missionary journey, he'd come up across the Mediterranean Sea from Crete, and he'd come uh, to Perga. And you'd think, well, Paul, here's a, here's a pretty good city. Uh, there's a lot of traffic coming in and out. Isn't this this typical place where Paul would have gone? And yet he, he went on up into the area of Galatia uh, to, to Antioch, which is quite a ways north of there. And we don't know specifically why he did that, but some have speculated where it says, I, I, I came to you because of something wrong, a sickness in my body. Some people think that possible because that was a low-lying area and very moist and wet. Uh, he could have picked up malaria from mosquitoes in that area, and then he went up into the higher regions to get away from that and, and more healthy. We don't know if that's what it was, but somehow he, he was sick. Some people think well, it was an eye problem. He's going to talk about them being willing to, to take out their eyes and give them to him if they could. Um, we don't know what the illness was, but it's, it caused Paul to actually go to this area of Galatia maybe sooner or change his first intended route, uh, things that, that Luke doesn't tell us in the book of Acts. But whatever it is that was wrong with, with uh, Paul, they didn't hold it against him. Uh, he says, you didn't, you didn't despise me and you didn't loathe me. To, to despise is to think nothing of someone. Uh, to loathe literally means to spit out. And so that either means to be totally rejected or actually if somebody looked like they were you know, a lot of times illness was seen as some sort of a curse on a person, and people would spit and, and say, basically, get, get the, the evil eye, get the curse, get this away from me. Paul says, you didn't treat me like that at all. And it may have been that maybe Paul had some sort of, of something that was just repulsive about him because of his sickness. He said, you could have just rejected me outright because you saw that sickness in me. He said, but you didn't. You actually cared for me when I came. And I came and I gave you the gospel. And you received it, even though my physical appearance, even though my physical condition might make you say, we don't want anything to do with you. Please stay away. In fact, their welcome of him, he says, was outstanding. Paul felt so welcome. He said, it was like I was an angel of God had come, and that's how you, you welcomed me. It was even like maybe I was Jesus himself coming to you. Jesus, it says, Messiah Jesus had come to you. That's how good you treated me. That's the kind of relationship we had while I was with you. So even though Paul may have felt self-conscious about his condition, they did everything they could to make him feel welcome. And Paul says, remember? Remember what we have in our relationship? 
understand I'm coming to you and I'm warning you about this false teaching, not just because I'm a theologian, not because I'm here as some authority over you, but because I love you and I'm concerned about you and I care about you. He says, don't you remember how blessed you felt when you received the gospel, verse 15? Where is that sense of blessing you had from receiving the gospel? And again, if you could have, either, either he did have a problem with his eyes and they said they would have, if they could have just said, well, take my eyes so Paul can see. It's more important that Paul see we love him that much. Or it could be simply that the gift of vision is so important. It's maybe kind of something of a, of a uh, figure of speech to say, what would you give to somebody that you really love? Well, I'd, even, I'd give them my very eyes. So we know how difficult it is to live without the gift of sight. So it's Paul, Paul's way of saying, look at the relationship we have here, Galatians. I want you to receive these arguments. I want you to receive these rebukes as from somebody who really has felt love from you, who has himself given of himself in so many ways for them. But things have changed, right? Something's different. It says, verse 16, So have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? <laughs> he feels as though because he's corrected them in, these bad, in this bad theology, and these bad beliefs that, that they need to go under the law to be right with God, that now some, somehow because he's contradicting what they're starting to buy into, that, that now he's their enemy. And we've seen this. There's been a change of heart. If you remember back in chapter 1 when we first started this book, chapter 1, verses 6 through 9, he starts off by saying, I'm amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another, only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. As we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, he is to be accursed. In writing this letter, Paul is shocked that they would suddenly go really 180 degrees away from what he's taught them. And that notice, he doesn't just say that you've left the truth. He says, you have left him. You have left him who has brought you to himself. They're really talking about God. In their change of theology, it's not just that they've changed the teaching they believe, but they've abandoned the God who cared about them. They've walked away from the God who loves them and brought them to himself through His Son, Jesus Christ. Am I your enemy? Because I tell you the truth. Kind of begs the question, what is an enemy? I think there's a lot of confusion about that in our world today. There has been all along. If you look back at the Proverbs, go to Proverbs 27.6. There it says, faithful 
are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. In other words, a, a true friend is going to tell you hard things to hear. Even though you might not receive what they are saying, even though you might, they, you might not appreciate what it is they're telling you. A true friend values what is truly good for you even more than your approval or acceptance. They know they have to tell you something to help you, and it's worth it to them even if you say, I don't want to be around you anymore because you've told me something I don't want to hear. Even though you might say, I'm so angry at you for telling me that. It's a risk that love is willing to take. And Paul's saying, I care about you. Therefore, I'm willing to tell you something that you may not appreciate, you may not enjoy, may bring you temporary pain for a long-term good. Paul is doing this with the Galatians because he knows it's not about him. It's about what's good for them. You might remember back in chapter 2, verse 11, that Paul did that for Peter. Remember when Peter came to Antioch? I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Something that seems as though Paul did publicly, and that Peter may have felt a great deal of embarrassment and shame because of what he was doing. But Paul didn't do that because he was in competition with Peter. Now, they were on the same team. He corrected Peter in that instance because he loved Peter, and he loved the people that Peter was teaching and who were following his example. He'd actually gotten a lot of the people back in Antioch to do the wrong thing by his example. And Paul, because he loved him, corrected Peter in a very direct kind of way, because he really was his friend and not his enemy. Matter of fact, if you go to Mark chapter 8, verses 31 through 33, uh, that happened with Peter back here as well. Mark chapter 8, verses 31 through 33, this situation is with Jesus, who is proving to be a good friend. says, and he, speaking of Jesus, began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he was stating the matter plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning around and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. For you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. Wow. What would that be like to have Jesus call you Satan? It's a pretty strong way to put it, isn't it? But really, Peter, because he wanted things his own way, was, was telling Jesus, no, 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 this can't be right. Even though Jesus was telling him exactly the way things needed to be, according to God's plan and for the good of all sinners and for the glory of God. Jesus very strongly rebuked Peter, even calling him Satan. Get behind me. You are against God's plan, in essence, he was saying. Jesus was a friend 
to Peter. Jesus was the same kind of friend to Paul. And if you, if you want to look, I'm not going to turn there right now, but Acts 26, 14, Jesus confronts Paul, right, on the road to Damascus, says, why are you persecuting me? Isn't it hard for you to kick against the goads? And that totally destroyed Paul's previous efforts in life, right? He'd been trying to live according to the law. He'd been building himself up as this Pharisee who was the up-and-coming important one in, in that role as Pharisees. And Jesus, because it was what was absolutely best for Paul, stopped him dead in his tracks, even blinded him to get him to see what he's doing is totally the opposite of what is good for you. Jesus, his friend, even though Paul saw him as an enemy, told him what he needed to hear. It's interesting that we have a hard time facing someone that we know loves us when we've chosen a point of view that is different from them, especially when their point of view is the truth. Oftentimes the problem is that we want their approval, but we know that they can't approve of what we are now believing or what we are now doing without violating their own conscience, their own convictions of what the truth is. And our sinful reaction is to treat that person like an enemy, push back against them or flee from them, avoid them. And that's what's happening to Paul here. He's been put on the blacklist because they know he won't go along with, with their being law keepers in hope of being found made righteous before God. They've turned him into an enemy in their minds because they know he won't accept this bad choice that they've made. And the reaction to Paul's loving correction is alive and well today. I mean, if someone corrects another person in, in the context of our society now and tells them the truth, it's now considered an attack. Uh, people even call it hate speech. Or they might call that person a hater because they told them something contrary to what they believe. It's a complete misunderstanding of what true love and acceptance is. To love someone, you have to speak the truth to them about things that will be harmful to them. Of course, the Scripture tells us to speak the truth in love, right? So we shouldn't speak like an enemy if we're trying to show love. But we do need to speak the truth, even when people don't want to hear it. Because things are harmful. Things that are untrue, lies, false doctrine hurt and destroy people. It's not loving to affirm a belief or a practice that will lead a person to, to disaster, will lead them even to hell, right? It's not hateful to tell somebody something they don't want to hear if you're telling them the truth in love. Well, let's talk about what an enemy is, but what is a friend? Because in a sense, what, what the Galatians are telling Paul is, well, these new teachers... They are our friends. They are passionate about us. Verses 17 and 18, they eagerly seek you, he tells them, not commendably, 
commendably, but they wish to shut you out so that you will seek them. So he says they're eagerly seeking you, or they are very zealous about you. They are very passionate toward you. And oftentimes that's what sways people to false teachers and their false teaching. There's a passion for the people they're teaching. They pursue them. They flatter them. They say things that people like to hear. They're trying to to make their influence very attractive. And who doesn't want to have people be passionate about you, right? Sometimes we need to learn about being passionate for one another, maybe by by what the false teachers do out of wrong motives. But that doesn't make a person your friend simply because they seek after you, just because they want to be around you. It's a question of motives, Paul says here. Says they eagerly seek you, but not commendably or literally not for good. Their reason for being so passionate about you isn't a good reason. Paul says they've got a motivation that's for your harm. It's about them and their own supposed list of good deeds. You know, a person who's trying to have righteousness before God by doing good works. You know, part of that is, oh, I've got to do this really well so that God will accept me. I've got to at least appear good, appear good to, to these people that I'm, I'm going to, to teach or to do good things for because that's my goal, is to be accepted by God, right? So I'm going to pursue them with zeal. But the end result isn't love for those they teach. In fact, they take their converts to hell with them. That's what Jesus condemned the Pharisees for. We actually looked at this passage last week, but I want you to go again to Matthew 23, where Jesus is rebuking the Pharisees, the, the, the top religious teachers in Israel at the time. And there's a number of, of woes here that he says. In other words, it's bad for you Pharisees for this reason. So we're going to look at the one in verse 13. Where he says, but woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you shut off the kingdom of heaven from people. For you do not enter in yourself, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. And verse 15, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you travel around on sea and land to make one proselyte. And when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. Do you see passion there on the part of these Pharisees that Jesus says woe to? They're willing to travel. They're willing to to give of their resources, their time, in order to make this proselyte. And he says, you know what you did? You just helped them get further down the road to hell. And you're headed there yourself. Passion isn't the measure of what is right and wrong. God's word is. God's truth is. But there's a strategy in that for false teachers. He says they want to cut you off or they want to um, shut you out, verse 17, so that you will seek them. And so it's either they want to shut you out from the true gospel 
by which you come into a relationship directly with Jesus yourself. Because they've got the system, right? They've got the list of things to do and not do. And every system needs the guardians, right? The ones who say, well, this is how you keep that. And this is whether you're doing well enough or not. You need me. You have to come to me so I can tell you how to obey, and I can tell you if you're obeying well enough, if you're keeping these things to the right degree. So they shut you out so that you'll pursue them. Or the other possibility about that shutting you out is they want to shut the Galatians out from Paul, who's been speaking the truth to them, because they know he's going to say what they're teaching you is wrong, because they want the Galatians, to come to them. They want it to be about them. It's a strategy of creating dependence. They see Paul as competition, and their way of teaching and leading is all about who gets the credit and who is in control. And when you have leaders or teachers where it's about who gets the credit and who is in control, you need to start being concerned. That's not what it's about in the church. It's about pointing people to Jesus so that they can live in him. And even if your teacher or your leader is then gone or dead or whatever, you're still with Jesus and you're heading in the right direction. And Paul, Paul then admits, he says 18, but it is, it is good always to be eagerly sought in a commendable manner. And not only when I am present with you. And Paul enjoys being cared about by them. He's not saying that's bad. He enjoys believers wanting to be with him. In fact, he wishes that they would think more about him when he's gone. So they wouldn't fall for these false teachers. That they would think about him so that they would think about the truth that he's taught them. But the motives he has aren't to control or to manipulate them because he does really care about them. That's why he's sharing this truth with them. See, Paul never minded when other godly people wanted to minister in the churches he started. He wanted elders to be raised up in those churches. And Peter, Apollos, Aquila, and Priscilla were some of the people who taught in those churches with his encouragement. In fact, sometimes he even tolerated people teaching when their motives were wrong, you can look in Philippians 1, 15 through 18, there were people who were trying to make Paul jealous. So they went out and shared the gospel. But the difference is, they were sharing the right message. They were sharing the true gospel of salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. See, he drew the line when the message was wrong. Because that's an attack on God and the ones that he loves. So as Paul winds down this, this talk about his, his personal relationship with them, he says, my children. He uses a very tender word. Uh, King James says, my little children, which maybe is a little closer to it. It's fond affection he has for them. He cares about them. He's concerned for them. But as Paul, Paul knows well, we, we can't know what's in a person's heart. He came and, and these people professed faith in Christ. They seemed to be following, but he doesn't, didn't know if they were playing religious games. He didn't know if they misunderstood and were doing something totally different than what he had instructed them to do. 
And Paul often had to leave newly professed believers not long after they came to faith in Christ. And so he says, my little children, I'm concerned for you. It was the same thing with the Thessalonians. If you go to 1 Thessalonians 3, 5 through 8, he had to leave them very quickly after he had first given them the gospel. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 3, verses 5 through 8, where he says, For this reason, when I could endure it no longer, this is right after he's left them, I sent to find out about your faith for fear that the tempter might have tempted you and our labor would be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you, that has brought us good news of your faith and love, and that you always think kindly of us, longing to see us just as we also long to see you. For this reason, brethren, in all our distress and affliction, we were comforted about you through your faith. For now we really live if you stand firm in the Lord. See his goal? He wanted them to be firm, not in following Paul, he wanted them to be firm in the Lord. Now, he would say, follow me as I follow Christ. But it was about Christ. It was about being firm, being strengthened in the Lord. And that's what he was concerned about for the Galatian believers too. So concerned that he, look how he describes it. He says, my children with whom I am again in labor until Christ is formed in you. He said, it feels like a mother who has to go through labor twice for the same child. Do any moms want to do that? No. Once, once is plenty, right? Paul says, I, I went through very difficult things. He was chased out of cities. He was even stoned and thrown out of one city in Galatia for dead through a great deal of, we could say, labor pains for the sake of their new birth, of them coming to Christ. Now he's saying, you're my little children. Should any, any mother have to go through labor twice for the same child? He says, that's what it feels like because I'm waiting to see Christ formed in you. In other words, become true in your day-to-day -day life and the way you live and the way you speak and think feels like I may have to, have to go through labor all over again. might be something like having a new child and then having that child immediately go through some sort of a, of a terrible threat to their life. A parent might think, boy, it's like we had two labors here. That's how concerned Paul feels. Were they really saved while Paul was there with them? He's agonizing over that. That's why the, the Hebrews... The author of Hebrews urged his writer or his readers in Hebrews 13, 17 to treat their leaders well. He understood the, the pain that Paul's talking about here, Hebrews 13, 17, where he says, Obey your leaders and submit to them. Why? For they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief. For this would be unprofitable for you. He could have said that to the Galatians on Paul's behalf. Unless Paul wrote Hebrews, but that's another story. So let, let your leader here, in this case Paul, lead you with joy, 
not grief, not in torment, not, not perplexed about you as he was. So that's what he says next. He says, I am, I am perplexed. I am at my wit's end about you. And I so wish, he says there at the end, verse 20, I wish to be present with you now and to change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. It's at his wit's end. He's agonizing over them in this choice to follow after the law. He wishes he could sit down with them now face to face. He's prevented from doing that right now. He says, if I could just sit down and we could talk. I know we could understand this better. I could have, we, we could get this worked out and I could, could take this, this concerned warning tone out of our conversation. You ever felt that way? You know there's something between you and somebody else and, and, and then once you can sit down and talk with them, it's like, okay, we got this figured out. Now we can, can have a good conversation and we can bless one another with how we talk and, and the tone of voice that we use and, 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 and begin the building up again. That's what he's desiring because he, he really is their friend. But he wants their relationship with Jesus to be good and right and growing and established. Because you see, being saved isn't just a matter of doctrines. Doctrine is incredibly important. You have to have God's truth. But the life of believing in Jesus is also filled with relationships. First of all, our relationship with God, right? Being made right with Him by faith in Jesus. Then our relationship with each other and doing what is best for them in the context of the truth of God's Word, in the context of the body that He has made us a part of. We become a part of His church. We become a part of His body, whether we act like it or not, whether we interact with the rest of the believers that way or not, it's the truth. That is our new condition in Christ. And those relationships matter and really are a part of the glue that binds our life in Christ together within ourselves, but also amongst ourselves. As we say, this is a gift from God, our relationship with other believers. And Paul was willing to, to use that closeness, that, that being bound together to draw Lovingly, the Galatians back into living according to the truth and rejecting the false teaching they'd, they'd been given. Relationships matter. They're part of what helps us truly be what God wants us to be as Christians, as members of His body, as His representative in this world. And what a blessing those relationships are. Embrace them for His glory. Let's pray. Father, thank you. We know that uh, uh, as sinners, as those who have received a sin nature through, through Adam and, and through our birth, we, we will struggle with our relationships all our lives. But you have given us in Christ Jesus what we truly need to live together in, in harmony, to live together in grace and, and growth with one another. I pray that you would use these words of Paul's uh, to encourage us in those relationships and help us to walk more and more with you the way you want us to. And to guard us against false teaching and things that aren't right, that we would 
in our relationships with one another, pursue knowing Jesus, knowing your word, knowing how that plays out into our daily life in such a way that that the fact that we live together in, in your body strengthens us all even more. Help us to be true friends, to speak the truth and love to one another, and, that, and help us to not consider others enemies when they do that. But, but help us to be more and more what you want us to be, both individually and together. For your glory, in the name and for the sake of your dear Son, Jesus. Amen.